0: Hello and welcome to Dear Hank and John.
1: Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank.
0: It's a comedy podcast where me, Hank Green, and my brother John, we answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. The first thing that I say on this podcast after the intro is, John, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing wonderfully, and I'll tell you why. It's a very simple thing, but it's a huge deal. Hank, for the first time in the history of our podcast, Last week, we made no major errors.
0: <laughs> like we got no, we got no correction emails.
1: We got some correction emails from people pointing out that the uh, the song "The Devil Went Down to Georgia" is not actually about accountants. But I thought that was clear in context. <laughs> uh, so I, I think that we yeah. technically yeah. no corrections, uh, no flaws, a flawless performance last week from uh, both Hank and John. I, I can guarantee you one thing. That won't happen again this week.
0: Oh, no, no, definitely not. We're going to do our best to make as many mistakes as possible. You know, John, I got a correction on Twitter. Oh, no. From somebody who said that, that I mispronounced LaCroix. Uh, but in fact, I did not. Oh. Oddly enough. Uh, so i also thought that lacroix was pronounced Le Croix because it's got all of those extra letters in it so i figured that it was french but in fact lacroix is made in america by the saint croix river which is spelled c r o i x and is pronounced croix so yep it's amer it's not french and they say on the website it says right there it's pronounced lacroix like enjoy Apparently,
1: Oh, that's adorable and wonderful news because it means that I, still, I get to read an actual short poem today instead of a short poem of correction, which I'm very excited about. All right, do it. All right, Hank, I thought I'd read a little bit of a dark poem, but you know, this is a comedy podcast about death. So here's Complete Destruction by William Carlos Williams. <laughs> it was an icy day. We buried the cat, then took her box and set fire to it in the backyard. Those fleas that escaped... Earth and fire died by the cold. Complete Destruction by William Carlos Williams.
0: You know, John, I have some trivia about William Carlos Williams um, to get us
1: started. I probably know it. Was it that he was a physician and often wrote his poems on prescription pads? Nope.
0: Um, It it is about how he was a physician. Um, He believed and he prescribed, in addition to prescribing poems, he prescribed yogurt baths.
1: Well, uh... Follow-up point uh, while William Carlos Williams was probably wrong about yogurt baths, he was right about yogurt lots of probiotics or at least some yogurt has probiotics yeah. in it
0: yeah in fact, in fact he would also he would often recommend that people would t- get yogurt enemas oh boy
1: okay let's move on to some questions from our listeners <laughs>
0: John, John the, the the thing that I'm doing right now, John is making up fake stuff so that people have, oh. have stuff to give us corrections on I thought that she would catch on to that
1: Oh no 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 but you can't you can't correct yourself mid pod it ruins it (laughs) right also people who stopped listening the moment you said yogurt enemas are now going to walk around for the rest of their lives and be like you know that guy who wrote the red wheelbarrow you won't believe this but
0: Yeah, I guess we can't, I guess, I I thought that it was completely unbelievable, but you never know. Uh, No,
1: I totally, I totally bought it because, you know, like 20th century medicine, especially uh, pre-World War II, was bananas, (laughs) sometimes literally. (laughs)
0: Uh, Well, John, before we get to the questions, I just want to say the word LaCroix a couple more times in in an effort to uh, to maybe clue in LaCroix that there might be a a podcast interested in sponsorship. Though I'll be honest, while I have brand affinity for LaCroix and I would not, for example, work with Dasani Sparkling Water because like you can't get in on this thing. I'm sorry. You know, major cola brands. This is going to have to be a separate thing that you will not. Uh, and in fact, there's Dasani sparkling water at my office right now, and I'm very angry about it. But Polar, that would also be fine. Seagram's, totally down with that. Any of you guys want to reach out? I'm a big sparkling water fan, and I think it's all about you know the fact that sugar is going to kill you. Uh, if yeah, it's just a dangerous substance that is very addictive. And that I, I love agree very with you much.
1: almost 100%. Hank, the only thing I disagree with is that, like, I think there are some configurations of sugar that can actually, of course, be really helpful. Um, you know, there are times when you need the, those oh, quick, sure. simple carbohydrates, and I think dismissing that entirely, you know, dismisses the nutritional value of Snickers bars, and that's offensive to me personally. You know,
0: John. I- Ah, I see. I see what you're. I see what you're saying here. Uh, well, I think that maybe we should leave this conversation up to Dr. Aaron Carroll at Healthcare Triage YouTube.com/slash Healthcare Triage. We're just leveraging things to promote more things. We're never <laughs> going to get to the questions.
1: Our Our constant begging for corporate sponsorship is the most reprehensible part of this podcast, and that's really saying something. <laughs>
0: All right, John, I got a question from Emma, who asks, Dear Hank and John, my birthday was a few days ago, and I got a bunch of great shirts from DFTBA.com. Oh, Emma, you know how to get a question answered. (laughs) You know how to get a question answered on Dear Hank and John, don't you? Uh, But Emma continues, (laughs) Uh, however, I need some advice. What is the appropriate etiquette when people are singing happy birthday to you? Do you smile and nod? Do you sing along and sing happy birthday to yourself? Or do you just sit there? I have no idea what to do to avoid the awkward birthday scenario. Any advice, even dubious, is welcome.
1: All right, Hank, Uh, when it comes to this stuff and also so much other stuff, I look to the Queen of England because, like, Mm. Every time the Queen of England appears in public, it's sort of similar to what it's like on your birthday when people are singing (laughs) happy birthday to you. Like everybody's paying a lot of attention to the Queen of England. Everybody's always singing a song that has her name in it called God Save the Queen. And the way that she responds is uh, smiling, the occasional wave. So I think when people are singing you happy birthday, you just smile, you listen, you're attentive, you try to make eye contact with as many people as possible, but not in a creepy way. And then at at an opportune moment, maybe when they say your name in the happy birthday song, um, you know, happy birthday to Emma, that's when you go for the just the, the real relaxed queen wave. <laughs>
0: <laughs> just sitting there. Uh, I don't you just like
1: don't I'm doing it right now you can't see I was me, but doing it got too honestly freaking I, amazing Queen Elizabeth wave I couldn't
0: I couldn't not as you were saying it we're just John and I are sitting in different parts of America right now making our hands do dumb stuff um, I
1: no. there's nothing dumb about the Queen wave I,
0: I apologize John I apologize for insulting the Queen the Queen wave um, I know that you are a big fan of the queen wave and that you have a poster on your wall that says the queen wave and it's just the queen's hand and it's framed and it's got mm-hmm. like a thousand dollar frame around it. Uh, and, and it used to hang in a gallery of queen waves and, uh, I know it's a big deal in your life, but so I, so I deeply apologize. I, I mean,
1: I know you're trying, I know you're trying to create a world in which people will correct us, but that all, everything you just said is true. <laughs> uh, I am like a proper monarchist. I, I don't think it's adequate just for the queen uh, to be seen as the head of state. I think the queen should be the queen of the world. Like, I think she should be the person who decides what is done in the world at all times.
0: Well, I, I honestly think that it would be pretty cool to have a world royal. And and the queen is as close yeah. as we have, for sure. Uh, yeah. But just not not necessarily somebody who makes decisions, but somebody that we're all just sort of like... Uh, therefore, and we're like, you know, that's a cool thing that we've got a world queen and they have this, you know, sort of like a a fantastically large stipend, but not sort of like any larger than any other rich person. But we all sort of see them as, you know, the royalty. I think that's a good idea. And I would like to nominate my wife.
1: Oh, that's very sweet. But unfortunately, that job is already taken by the great Queen Elizabeth II and stop Trying to dethrone her. She is the greatest monarch of our time, or any time.
0: She's pretty great. She's pretty great. Uh, I, you I'm know, a little if-
1: concerned that we've we've gotten somewhat away from the question
0: right well I well we all do this next time you're at a birthday party with someone that you respect and uh, and think is it that well they're, they're comfortable in every situation just watch them and see what they do because I don't even know I'm just like I'd like focus on the cake focus on the
1: cake focus on the cake yeah but you don't you don't sing along to your own birthday song
0: no does the, does the queen sing God save the queen because that would be funny
1: I don't know if the queen She's just like mouthing sings along God with save it. the queen because I've kind of set myself up uh, rhetorically during this bit uh, <laughs> to be an expert to make it seem like i know a lot about the queen when in fact the major things i know about her are that she is english um and that she is old
0: (laughs) (laughs) and that a bunch of people uh seem to really like her all right john do you want to i honestly don't have any other i just wanted to do the dftba call out john it's the only reason Emma got our answer questions. Uh, right.
1: You know what? You know what? You can get at DFTBA.com, Hank, that I keep meaning to mention uh, is AFC Wimbledon scarves that are genuinely awesome, and uh, the money, uh, the royalties from the scarves go uh, to AFC Wimbledon, and they're only like ten dollars or something. So, uh, yeah, I, while we're while we're selling out, uh, go to DFTBA.com, <laughs> get an AFC Wimbledon scarf. Okay. Uh, We have another question, this one comes from Tim, who writes, Dear John and Hank, when I recently went to a performance by the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, I immediately realized that the majority of the people there were senior citizens. I'm currently 19, which means there were few people of my age attending the concert. My question is, what kind of music do you think those currently in their teens will be listening to in the future? Will we be seeing an elderly Justin Bieber, Taylor Swift, or even Hank Green performing at Carnegie Hall in the distant future? Will people listen to classical music in 2066? Oh, well,
0: uh, I would be happy to play Carnegie Hall in 2066, and in fact, I would like to reach out to Carnegie Hall right now and say, can I book a date sometime in 2066? Do you have anything available, and is it possible I could lock in a rate right now?
1: (laughs) I mean, uh, let's face it, Hank, the reason, the main reason it would be awesome for you to play Carnegie Hall in 2066 is that it would mean that you're still alive.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'll only be 86 there's a pretty good chance I'll be alive when I'm 86 I don't know that I'll be able to like Oh,
1: you're such an optimist
0: I don't know that I'll be able to stand up in front of a room for for an hour and not poop my pants but you know I'll be alive oh. I'll just like play one song and be like I'll be right back young folks <laughs> you know young young 50 year olds and 60 year olds I
1: like this question I gotta go
0: take care of some business I
1: liked this question because uh I of course wondered this when I was a teenager. Um, and now I find myself 20 years removed from teenagerness. And what has happened in our case, Hank, is that uh, the bands that we thought were too like cool and progressive and important to ever be considered classic uh, rock or oldies nonetheless mm. are now oldies. Like yes, very we much. are now as far removed from Nirvana's Nevermind. <laughs> as Teenage Me Was from Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. That is something else. So what happens is that the music you like gets normalized, and it starts playing in grocery stores, and a new generation of old people will like classical music in 20 years and 40 years and 60 years, Uh, because I don't think people like classical music because it was popular when they were young, because it wasn't. I think they like classical music because as they get older, they uh, you know just value and, and treasure it more on average. That's my guess anyway.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that it takes a, a certain amount of exposure and also patience to enjoy classical music in a fast-paced uh, world where there's lots of new music always coming out. Um, and I have found myself enjoying classical music more Still not listening to classical music stations or anything, but I could see myself in, in 30 years doing it. And I listened to jazz more. Uh, and I also think that we are all very lucky, though it might seem a little bit unpleasant. You know, that moment when you hear 21 pilots on the oldies station is when you know that, you know, you, at least you didn't die. Uh, you might be old now, but what's the alternative? <laughs> the alternative <laughs> is, that, is that you didn't it's make true. it this far. At least
1: you made it to be become yeah. an oldie
0: oh that's gonna be that's gonna be something I don't know it's 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 there's
1: no there's no easy way to get old though Hank it's just it's it's, it's an undignified process. Oh
0: yeah, well, you know, yes, but I think that you can you there is place to ways to find dignity. There are lots of dignified old people.
1: No, I'm just saying for me, I suspect that it's gonna I'm gonna lack. I don't have a ton of <laughs> dignity as it is. I'm not going into middle age with like you know, overwhelming amounts of dignity, so I'm a little concerned.
0: <laughs> well, I think I think it's something you might develop. Uh, you don't you might not have dignity right now, John, but maybe it's something that you're gonna have in the future, right? Maybe? Uh,
1: I'll keep my fingers crossed. Let's move on to another question. I will also
0: keep my fingers crossed for your dignity, John. This one is from Haley, uh, who asks, Dear Hank and John, What food group do mushrooms fall into? They don't seem like they Mm. would be fruits or vegetables. But then I looked up in the dictionary the definition of a vegetable, and it claims that all plants used as food are vegetables, which would make fruits also vegetables. Basically, I'm very confused and hoping that you can clear some things up for me.
1: What do you think, John? Yeah, no, I. This is a common question, oh, really? and the the answer, of course, is that mushrooms are not food.
0: Mm, that's definitely not true.
1: Oh no, it is. You can you. you I mean, it, you can eat mushrooms in the same sense that, like, you know, you can eat Legos if you want to, but th- it doesn't make it food. <laughs> uh, the th-
0: well, the thing that makes mushrooms food is that they contain calories. You could just eat mushrooms and survive. Uh, maybe not forever, but for longer than if you were just eating Legos.
1: Hmm. I think you could probably live for a few months on Legos. I'd like to see some science on how long you could live on Legos.
0: <laughs> I think you'd need a new pair of teeth pretty quick uh or maybe a new maybe a new colon <laughs>
1: Did I say pair of teeth? <laughs> okay, I didn't. I didn't pick the best non-food item. I'll admit. Okay, like obviously, if I could go back and pick a better example of a non-food item, I would. Like, uh, for instance, notebook paper uh, would have been better because that uh, is more easily digestible than Legos. Yeah, you can gonna it. with. Sticking with Legos, okay, gonna I'm st- gonna say <laughs> Legos have calories. You could eat them, and they would provide some level of sustenance for some period of time. Well, I did, and that is a a hill that I am ready to fight and die on. You know,
0: it depends on the Lego, John. If it's been sitting in a box for a long time and maybe there are some bugs hiding in the little nooks and crannies of the Legos, there may be some, Mm -hmm. some calories in Legos.
1: Uh, I, I think if you water it down enough, it'll it'll get mushy. But <laughs> let's get back to Haley's question. Hank, are mushrooms vegetables or fruits or is this all a construct and none of it actually matters?
0: Well, it, yeah, I mean, it depends on who you ask. It is, of course, all a construct and none of it really matters, which is, you know, the, the definition of life on Earth here as a human. But uh, mushrooms... Uh, they are their own thing, as you say. Uh, ac- according to the dictionary, any uh, any plant that you can eat is quote a vegetable. Uh, but mushrooms are not vegetable are not plants. They are they are fungi. They are uh, a whole different part of the biological tree. They broke off from the rest of all like animals. They broke off from animals after we broke off from plants. So we are more closely related to funguses than we are to uh, than we are to, to plants. Um, but wow! But Uh, I did look this up and the USDA, which decides to some extent, what is a, what is a, you know, counts as like the food group, you know, this is what we're talking about. We're not talking about like biological classifications. We're talking about food groups. The USDA says that they are a vegetable, that they, that eating mushrooms Mm. falls into your fruits and vegetable category for the day. And this is because the USDA stands for US Department of Agriculture. And there is a A department of the United States government that is responsible for deciding what we eat, and they do not represent Americans. They represent Americans who grow food, and I think this is extremely (laughs) strange. That it is basically, this is an organization that is out for the basically to to cater to the interests of farmers, and they uh, they are telling people what to eat. Not for the health of the people, but for the health of the agriculture industry. This is very weird. And so they put it, you know, they, they like things like, you know, you're drinking like orange juice and it tells you that it's a certain number of servings of fruit. That those servings of fruit are about sales of oranges, not about the personal health of the individual. It is, it is ludicrous and something that infuriates me whenever I see people talk about servings of fruits and vegetables. But yes... Uh, they, the, the fun, fungi Are regulated by the USDA And they were like put us in there somewhere People have to like have a reason to eat Mushrooms and they go in the Fruits and vegetables because they serve a lot of the same purpose They're healthy they're low calorie uh, They have high fiber and they have a lot Of vitamins and minerals they're very good for you And in case anyone Was wondering John and I completely disagree About this and they are delicious I oh, love mushrooms God. I don't love all Mushrooms
1: they taste like the dirt From which they came I'm
0: not a huge fan of those like button ones that they that that they like slice up on the pizzas I don't love those ones but there's so many different kinds of mushrooms with so many different kinds of flavors and a really great meat alternative as well because they also have a lot of protein Um, but they're just a great food they're a great food and don't diss mushrooms John but you can diss the USDA and I will
1: I just want to clarify one thing Hank which is that uh, not all of the dietary guidelines uh, released by the government are released by the USDA there are now uh, for instance there's the Office of Disease Prevention and Health Promotion Uh, which you can find their dietary guidelines at health.gov.
0: Oh, well, look at you. Uh, That feels like a really good corporate sponsor there, John. Health.gov seems like something that we shouldn't be ashamed of.
1: Oh, man, if health.gov would just send me 378 healthy bodies, that would be amazing.
0: (laughs) Just like pop into one, get it really unhealthy, pop into the next one, get that one really unhealthy. you got a lot of Snickers bars to go through, John. Uh well how'd
1: you how'd you eat three hundred and seventy eight Snickers bars in two days? Well I'll tell you what the key is being able to inhabit fourteen bodies each day.
0: <laughs> you gotta yeah, you need a lot more Snickers bars now that you have three hundred and seventy eight human bodies to go through.
1: <laughs> All right, Hank, I have another question. This one comes from Brendan, who asks, Why do eyebrows matter so much to people? I mean, they're literally just little strips of body hair above your eyes, and so many people are obsessed with them. I just don't understand why they matter so much. Hank, you might guess why I wanted to ask this question. It's because lots of people in comments of our YouTube videos are talking about my eyebrows and how they are reportedly thinning, and it's super annoying. And it reminds me that uh, if I were a woman on the internet instead of a man, I would be uh, subjected to constant, endless uh, analyses of uh, my physical body in ways that I would find completely destructive and would make it impossible for me to continue making things on the internet. Uh, So, um, uh, yeah, that's totally why I'm asking this question.
0: I knew knew nothing about... I had never thought about your eyebrows until I watched watched that video, and then I was like, spent the whole, like because I like looked at the comments, people talking about your eyebrows, and I look at your eyebrows, and I'm like, ah, they're kind of weird. And then I looked at my video, and I was like, my eyebrows are kind of weird too. They're pretty far apart. We got pretty far apart eyebrows, John. We got that thing going where our eyebrows are pretty far
1: apart. Right, and then you start to get in this like cycle of panic where you're like, oh, that's it, my my career is over. My eyebrows are further apart than they used to be, and uh, the boy, you know, like I'm. I'm how not, do you I, wax how
0: do you wax eyebrows someone get me a candle I, uh, how does no, this work
1: I uh I do so I do I do pull uh my eyebrow hair out sometimes compulsively as part of this OCD thing that I have but um but I I, I haven't uh lately uh it's been pretty pretty well controlled actually so it's uh curious to me that now is the time that it's uh, that it's coming up but uh I don't know why they matter so much to people, Brendan, except that I think it frames the eyes for people and people like looking at eyes. That's where people are usually... Uh, looking, They're looking at the thing that's looking at them. And uh, the, so the eyebrows are, are sort of in your peripheral vision if, if you're staring intently into someone's eyes. So that's my theory about it. But uh, but I don't know, man. I, I, I also feel like eyebrows are a little overrated. Yeah, I mean,
0: uh, faces are nice and we like them. Uh, and it is interesting that we have eyebrows at all. They seem to be not just not just physically functional, but also socially functional. It's, it's one of the adaptations that we have that seems clear that it is a thing that we have for to help communication, um, and so to express emotion, and uh, even communicate non-verbally or over long distances. And so like, we developed these things to uh, increase our ability to read the cues of other humans, which uh, helped us be humans and that's that's weird that's a cool thing that uh we have these structures on our faces that if you if you like took them out of context would be quite weird like it's just this fuzzy thing that like sits on top of your, your brow line and it's this uh Little caterpillars that you got up there. That's weird. That's weird. Just like, you know, how many of them, if you t- took it out of context, of our body parts are weird. Like, one of the things that I find most terrifying in the world, John, is thinking about animals with human hands on them instead of having having feet. Uh, so, like, if you think about like a horse with human hands, it's just like. <laughs> uh, like, human hands are kind of terrifying when they're anywhere except on a human body. Uh, yeah. But. You know, it's all it's all a construct and and I wish I wish that we didn't uh analyze ourselves so harshly, John, as people.
1: I do occasionally have uh these moments. I don't know if you have these moments Hank where I'm able to zoom out and see uh human bodies like the way yes. other animals might yeah, see yeah. them that, 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 uh, or yeah. at least like it, in a way that doesn't feel like human to me and I'm always just like look at these look at these ludicrous bodies and these at these weird people obsessing over them like they're so <laughs> concerned with their bodies it's amazing
0: yeah yeah I, I uh I do have those moments it's like when you say a word long enough and you're like this word doesn't actually it's not a word yeah. it's like when you like if you can get into the right mind you're like that is a weird shape for a thing to be yeah look at people. They're so weird. They are weird. And naked, hairless things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's I think it's mostly our lack of fur that I find so distressing. Uh, We're very weird looking like uh, just, you know, if you compare us to all the other apes. Mm-hmm. We're the, by far the weirdest ones. Like apes must look at us. Like I bet, like an orangutan looks at a chimpanzee and is like, "Yeah, I get it. I get it. You're not bad." <laughs> and then orangutan looks at a human and is just like, "What is going on with you, man? What, what is this? What did you do? What happened, You're man? You're kind of disgusting. Are you, are you okay, dude? Did like, you commit see the... some kind of original sin? Turns out, yes. <laughs> All
0: right." This question is from Paul, John, uh, who asks, Dear Hank and John, uh, there are hand soaps and there are facial soaps. Is it really necessary that I have both? I think that I wash my hands and face a healthy amount and always use one or the other. I feel like having two is unnecessary. Does it really matter which one I use? Is there any real evidence for having different soaps for different body parts?
1: Hank, I'm going to be honest with you and say that this question falls way out of my fields of expertise.
0: Uh, Well, it is different. I'll say that those soaps are different. They are different things. Um, You know, like, soap at its very basic is just a detergent agent. Um, You know, if you just have, like, the cheapest off-the-shelf, like, dish soap, it's just detergent. And that, you know, like, binds up and breaks stuff, and it makes it easier to wash oils in particular off of things, but also other—like, just anything— um, and that's that's like what soap used to be, and we have added things to soap, and that's those things that we add make them more expensive. And so the basic idea is that hand soap is a more like more primitive, I don't know, that might, might not be the right word, uh, primitive kind of soap uh, that uh, since your hands are pretty tough. And they can handle it, but face soap might have some like less of the detergent. It might have more of some things like conditioners that uh, that that sort of replace the oils that they might wash away from your face and make your face not feel all dry and gross and that's obviously the same thing with uh, shampoo it has it has you know detergent to get all, rid of all the stuff but then it actually replaces some of the stuff that it got rid of with th- some basically like you know conditioning agents that are in a way they're like a, a, a new kind of oil that you were putting back into your hair uh, it, to replace the oil that you just stripped away and there's also all kinds of other stuff you know you might have moisturizers you might have uh, like suds in cond- Compounds that make it look sudsier, and so you can, like, feel it and, like, enjoy the sudsy feeling, which doesn't actually have anything to do with the soapiness. Soap chemistry is fascinating, and there are lots there's lots that go into the different kinds of soaps that we have, which is why a uh, face soap, which is trying to be more careful with your skin, might be much more expensive than a hand soap. Also, of course, the marketing that goes into that uh, is expensive as well. So there is a difference, but if you wash your face with hand soap and that doesn't bother you, don't spend extra money on face soap. And certainly do not wash your hands with face soap unless you have really sensitive skin, because uh, because that's just going to put a hole right in your bank account. It's going to be a hole in your pocket for the rest of your life. So that was my answer. I've
1: had a lot of coffee today, John. Can I basically do whatever feels good when it comes to soap? You know, John, do whatever feels good when it comes to soap. Oh, uh, that that's that's good to hear. Uh, Because I I have often wondered about that and worried about that like am I uh, Doing some damage to my skin and it's good to hear that uh, if it feels all right I probably am all right Uh, and it's nice to hear that from a beauty expert uh, like yourself Hank This next question comes from Jethro uh, Who asks dear John and Hank a friend of a friend believes the earth is flat They are clearly wrong strong agree. But I want to know what you guys think. How can I best argue against them when they say science and politicians are lying to them? They also say they should be allowed to believe whatever they want and who am I to stop them? Am I right to want other people not to be wrong? Oh, Oh, this seems to me a question that is not really about whether the earth is flat, but instead about this weird post-fact world that we are living in where memes have taken on a kind of truth to them that is totally uh disconnected from what i think of as reality.
0: Yes. Uh this is an interesting question because there's the first part which is like how can i argue with this person who clearly just wants to argue and that's like that's their main goal in having this ludicrous belief right. which don't. Yep. And then the other one is like like how do i come to terms with the fact that like being wrong like like like, isn't there just something wrong with being wrong? <laughs> and can't we agree on that? Right.
1: Right. Right. This idea that, like, uh, that, that people say, well, I should be allowed to believe whatever I want— um, it's very difficult to disagree with that. I totally agree with you. Like, don't get in arguments with people who just say things to be provocative. Like, I used to work with someone um, who would regularly say that, the, that Abraham Lincoln was the worst American president, and there's only one reason to say that, right, which is to try to start an argument. <laughs> um, you know, anytime anybody would bring up the 19th century, they would be like, well, as you know, Abraham Lincoln was the worst American president, <laughs> you know, and that's just like a dot, dot, dot. And then you have to be like, you know, I, mm, I, mm, I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't the worst. Uh, he, it's probably, probably in the top two, probably top one. Uh, anyway, uh, as you yeah. can tell, I'm still a little annoyed about that. Uh, and, but I just, it, it is, it's really difficult um uh, you can't engage when pe- with people. I don't think it's effective to engage with people when they're merely being provocateurs uh, because of the never wrestle with a pig axiom. Uh, you know, you you get dirty and besides the pig likes it. The problem is that we seem to be living in this time where both wrestling with the pig and not wrestling with the pig are equally ineffective. And I feel totally powerless and clueless about how we're supposed to be proceeding as people who believe in, uh, in in science and people who believe in facts, and I, I just feel like we've become unmoored from what I think of as as like fundamental reality, and it freaks me out, and I don't know what to do about it.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's this this great thing that happened called the Enlightenment, where we where we kind of all finally agreed that there was a way to get to objective knowledge and and had a a path to that. And it's almost like that there's at the moment some kind of anti-enlightenment ha- happening. And I agree that like, right. it's
1: more than anti-intellectualism, right? Yeah. Like it goes deeper than anti-intellectualism. Claiming the earth is flat is not just a rejection of the sort of like, uh, you know, intellectual elite. It's a rejection of Fairly fundamental observable knowledge Um, and and it's imagining a world in which so many people are lying to you that it's just that's what seems so weird to me about it
0: yeah well I mean the thing like flat earthers honestly don't bother me because there aren't very many of them and uh, and it's clearly ludicrous but like the, you know, people who deny the existence of global warming bother me. Uh, like that, right. that, it's just like, this is a thing that we are going to have to deal with as a species. And the longer we argue about whether it exists, the less we're going to be able to do. And right. uh, and, and I think that there are a number of like, you know, it's almost as if uh, the data has become the enemy of, of the enlightenment where there is so much data now that there will always be a study saying something that right. it, that is you know contrary to the big body biggest body of evidence and so you can latch onto those individual points you know and i i will say that like i don't think science has the solution for every problem i think that there are lots of good reasons to have other ways to examine the world um but i you know I am very, I'm, you know, it's like a legitimate worry that I have right now, and it it, it stresses me out. This, you know. Oh this. yeah, no,
1: it stresses me out too. I also think that, you know, people end up not having these conversations um, uh, like across belief systems in ways that are really problematic. Like when we're talking about climate change being real, which it is, and it's inarguable that it's real, and it's inarguable that, uh, that humans are, are causing it. Um, we are 95% preaching to the choir, right? Like, uh, we are so siloed. One of the shocking responses to the Nerdfighter census, at least to me, is that there you know are tens of thousands of people who filled out this census. And in the question, who do you plan to vote for for president? Uh Hillary Clinton is overwhelmingly uh, in first place. Uh, Gary Johnson is in second place. Jill Stein is in third place and Donald Trump uh, got four percent support so yeah, far yeah and, uh, and that's... From, um, within within people who identify as as nerd fighters. I mean that that level of disconnect like that means that what I have always thought of as like a fairly inclusive community that that's you know fairly representative of um, American life uh, within certain uh, you know age demographics really isn't at all. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, the other thing is that three percent of those four percent said that they were begrudgingly supporting Donald Trump uh, because they saw him as the lesser of two evils. Like only one percent of our community is enthusiastic in their support for Donald Trump, and yet um, you know. 30% of likely voters are.
1: And that is... 40, 45% of likely voters, according to a poll that came out today. It's very, it's a very weird time. And um, and I agree with you, Hank, that, that data has in some ways become the enemy of science because it's so easy to cherry pick data now. And, and it's really sad. Uh, and there's also, I think... I think something about the internet, and I, I worry that we feed into this a little bit, um, leads everybody to feel like they can become experts in something in, in ten to twelve minutes, mm-hmm. uh, and and I worry sometimes that 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 we feed that belief. Um, even though we try to be we try to be pretty careful uh, because the belief itself seems to me really, really destructive and really dangerous uh, because then you've got people who say, "Well, I know climate science is wrong because this person says it's wrong, and you know here are two studies, and that's that It's really weird it's such a weird, stressful po- time in American political life, and you know we are, are gonna you and I personally like our much less at risk from uh from this stuff than than the people who are most in need of the protection of a a government Mm -hmm. um and yeah so So, we're coming at this from a very privileged privileged place but it 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 is scary i think no matter who you are
0: yeah so jethro i think that the answer to your question is that you are right to want other people to not be wrong but that we do not know how to get the world to a place where we can have those conversations effectively
1: oh god no we really don't
0: and let's just have silence for the next 45 seconds while we mourn. <laughs> you really messed up our groove there, Jethro. We're having a good time.
1: Today's podcast is brought to you by the darkness. The darkness <laughs> encroaching.
0: <laughs> Today's podcast is also brought to you by mushrooms. They are not a vegetable, not a fruit, not even a plant, but they are A vegetable
1: (laughs) that's actually a really good uh tagline for mushrooms (laughs) mushrooms (laughs) not a vegetable not a fruit just a vegetable um and of course today's (laughs) podcast is also brought to you by the queen wave the queen wave the number one way to make sure that people understand that you appreciate the happy birthday song
0: And finally, this podcast is brought to you by 378 healthy human bodies delivered straight to your door from (laughs) health.gov.
1: Man, poorhealth.gov. They're trying. They're trying. That's what, uh, that's
0: what they That's what they do, right? I sort of feel like we <laughs> pulled ourselves out of
1: the darkness from Jethro's question, but only sort of.
0: This episode of Dear Hang brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house, or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free, fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week. And it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house. And Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials. And the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly shipped to the doorstep, it's a huge time-saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Jobani, Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Olipop, Poppy, Salt...
1: Uh, let's move on to another question, Hank. Sort of. This question comes from Sahicha, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I'm currently in the process of applying to medical school, and like many people I know, I've had negative experiences with healthcare providers in the U.S. It's alarmingly common for patients to feel dehumanized, dismissed, and ignored. I know both of you have spoken about your experiences with chronic illness, and John has talked about his experience as a hospital chaplain. What ways have you seen healthcare professionals provide compassionate care? I should say that while I have had some negative experiences uh, with my care, definitely, I've also got a lot of really, really positive ones. Um, I have a awesome doctor and, uh, I've had a few great ER visits. My neurologist, when I had viral meningitis was just amazing. Uh, I just like, let us now pause to give thanks for my amazing neurologist. When I had meningitis, <laughs> um, I, I think usually when I've had not great care, uh, and I don't know how you feel about this, Hank, but I usually feel like it's because it's a hard job. Like providing medical mm-hmm. care is really, really hard. And on a second by second basis, it's almost impossible to remember that each of these people, when you're going from person to person to person, that each of these people is under a tremendous amount of stress, that they're having a really difficult day in their lives. And 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 to try to be as as patient and careful as you need to be is really, really hard. Um, and I, I think everybody's gonna fail at it sometimes. Uh, it's just you know the important thing I think is remembering that uh, yeah that these are that these are human beings and that the 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 care that you're providing uh, the, the medical side of it is is important. Um, but making sure that people understand uh, that they feel safe that they know what's happening uh, that's that's a, a, as important as as the medical part, I think in a lot of cases. Uh,
0: and I feel like I don't know if this is accurate, but like in my experience with doctors, I feel like like there is training that goes on to help them with this stuff that to to get better at it and to. And to con- yeah, but it's know, not to-
1: always adequate training. Like I remember sure, when sure. I was when I was a hospital chaplain, I remember uh, a doctor like pulled me out of a room with a family and she was a very young doctor and she was like, uh, I can't uh, I can't do this. And I was like, excuse me. And she was like, I can't uh, I can't talk to them right now. And I was like. What do you mean? She was like, "Can you just tell them?" And I was like, "No, <laughs> like, yeah, no. I'm
0: not a doctor. I'm just the <laughs> i was same. like, "I
1: literally, I literally can't because of the law." <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna have yeah, to like, yeah. we're gonna have to like man up and do this together. <laughs>
0: like, yeah, I mean, uh, it, I, I do, I do see it as like, there's a very weird thing being a doctor. It's where so hard. You go through. You go through so much education so that you can be a good doctor, and then you are also expected to provide excellent customer support. And yeah. those are different skill sets. And uh, and and it can often be like, did I spend all of this time, ju- like becoming, you know, like becoming this, like a doctor, in order to get yelled at by someone? because I made a mistake which I'm going to do sometimes. Right. Yeah, there's um, the
1: like there's the organic chemistry side of being a doctor or 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 any healthcare professional really. And then there's the side where you just ha- yeah, I mean that stuff is so stressful. Ah, yeah, I I anyway, thank you for applying to medical school. Uh we wish you luck. Hank and I uh would both be terrible doctors.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean I, I yeah. <laughs> I think uh, I think as long as you're thinking about it then that's that's a really good sign and and my experience is, is having I've also had really great doctors and and have very few nasty uh things to say about them uh but I you know I think that that is also true of most of the interactions I have in my life so uh I, I think that you know like bad experiences tend to stick out in people's heads. And then there are some people who have lots of bad experiences because they themselves are just very difficult people to work with. And that is not not a thing. That
1: is also true. Although it, it should also be noted that uh, this is another place where uh, being white and male uh, is provably yeah. uh That is true. That is true. Easier. That's
0: true. And living in an affluent community where there is are plenty of resources to to support, um you know, Good, good hospitals um, with doctors who want to live in those communities, and uh, it, it is a it is a world of inequality. And I'm on the good side of that curve.
1: Yeah, it is a very deep uh, systemic thing, inequality, and it's like really hard to even like acknowledge or think about all the different ways that it factors into a human life. But I definitely feel that uh, when I am at the hospital. Uh, I I definitely feel aware of it when I'm at the hospital. Hank, I wanted to get to one last question uh, because it's just very important before we get to the all-important news from uh, Mars and AFC Wimbledon. This question comes from Sarah, and she writes, Dear John and Hank, over the years I've participated in many activities and sports that make me feel nervous prior to the activities, and along with feeling nervous, I always have to poop. It's not just the gut-clenching feeling. I'll actually have to make a trip to the bathroom. Several of my friends have also agreed that they get the nervous poops prior to an event, so I was wondering if you knew why this is. I like this question, and I like Sarah, because she had the courage to ask it.
0: Not even anon- anonymously, though Sarah's pretty anonymous. Well, but
1: I mean, she, she says that she talks to her friends about it, where she's just like, do you guys get the nervous poops? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I do. By the way, Sarah, this is a real thing. I, this
1: is a very, very real yeah, thing,
0: and it, it seems to be a—it uh, seems to be a, a side effect of adrenaline. It makes you have to pee. It makes you have to poop. And and like people will make like talk about reasons why this is a good thing if you're in a fight or flight situation. No, it's not I good just at all. I don't agree. I never, never do. I want. Yeah, no, I don't want to have, have another thing to start worrying about if I'm about, about totally to like, get eaten by a tiger. Like, and do you think it's not gonna eat me just because I got a little poop on my leg? No, it's gonna eat me. I'm food
1: um yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I think that there's absolutely no uh evolutionary advantage in in pooping the moment before uh you get attacked by a grizzly bear uh there is this thing called the gut brain axis uh that I am totally fascinated by uh where your your gastrointestinal tract and your brain actually talk a lot to each other um a lot more than uh than other parts of your body talk to your brain in, in many cases. And part of that also is that the bacteria in your gastrointestinal tract, I've been reading this great book called I Contain Multitudes that talks a lot about this, you know, the bacteria in your gastrointestinal tract, like give off different chemicals and different signs. And, uh, and, and so it may also be partly that, that when you get uh, anxious, the, the gut brain axis starts, um, you know, firing uh, signals of anxiety back and forth until, uh, you know, suddenly you have to poop um but it's okay it's normal mm-hmm. and uh i just hope for your sake that uh it doesn't interfere with your sports or other activities uh, uh yeah <laughs> the, the
0: traditional medical explanation for this is that uh you you when adrenaline starts running your body moves resources away from your core and into your limbs which are necessary for fighting and running and stuff and also that's good for uh for sports But, uh, and that means that it is moving resources away from your digestive system. And it might think like, oh, like let's just abandon all of this and maybe things relax. Uh, But also there's some amount, I think, of cramping that happens. So it's not just like that all your sphincters relax. It's also that like there's like some peristalsis waves of muscle contractions going down your colon being like, okay, let's empty this out because we're not going to deal with it. We don't want to deal with this right now. We want to deal with other things. There's going to be other things to deal with. So let's just stop digesting right now. Get rid of everything in the digestive system and not worry about that. Um,
1: You're making me a little nervous just by talking about this.
0: Do you not like the word peristalsis? Because I love it. Such a fun word. That might
1: be th- that might be the problem. Um, it's more that I don't like imagining. Uh, I don't really like imagining what's happening on the inside of me very much. Uh, I find it deeply threatening uh, to my sense of self. <laughs> I have to have... I so with that said, let's move on to the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. hick <laughs> what's the news from Mars this week? All right.
0: uh, if you, I don't know if you've seen, if you follow me on Twitter or Tumblr, you probably have. Uh, Curiosity has sent back some images as it has begun to traverse away from the the ancient lake bed that it has been hanging out in, into the mountains surrounding that lake bed. And as it has done that, the, uh, the topography has become much more interesting and much cooler. And the photographs that it's sending back have been gorgeous, and they just released a few of these that they did some good post-production on, showing not just, uh, you know, really cool geographic landscapes and, like, some vistas and, uh, you know... Like, basically, it looks a lot like sort of old, old like, 1870s photographs of the American Southwest, but also that, like, taking close-up shots of cliff faces that are very clearly layer after layer after layer, like, hundreds of layers of sediment laid down, likely either in a lake, like, a lakes-like situation or in a a stream situation, and that just, it isn't, like, the more time we spend on Mars, the more it's like, oh, we thought that this was, you know... A place where there, you know, there's no water, no life. But for a long time, there was a lot of water on the surface of Mars. And uh, and the, the more time we spend there, the more we see it. And also that, like, what that leads to is, it, you know, scientific interest for sure. But also like the action of water uh, in a geological system is also just aesthetically really pleasing. And even after that water has been gone for a long, long time, the uh, the, the forms that were left by that water spending time on the surface of the planet doing cool things uh, remains just beautiful. And so, like, as much as this news is not about the science of Mars, it's just about the aesthetics of Mars, I think everybody should look at those pictures because it's, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to have such a high-quality uh, set of imaging systems on the surface of Mars right now and also on, in such a... Uh, uh, geographically diverse and interesting place on the surface of Mars as well.
1: Well, I have to say that I completely agree with you about how uh, aesthetically beautiful it is to see the remnants of water's work on uh, on on Earth or stone. Uh, so, for once, I'm. <laughs> Pretty psyched to check out these Mars pictures, but I will emphasize that it's easy to take them without putting any human beings on Mars, at least until 2028 or later. (laughs)
0: And there's an article in the Wall Street Journal right now that compares uh, these photographs to uh, uh, photographs from Timothy H. O'Sullivan uh the 19th century philosopher uh, photographer he might also have been a philosopher you know.
1: <laughs> aren't all photographers philosophers of a kind um <laughs> well uh the news from the news from AFC Wimbledon somewhat less aesthetically beautiful uh heartbreaking gut-wrenching uh 3-2 loss to Sheffield Oof. United uh last week Ah, uh, you know uh some encouraging news. This new player, Dom Polion, scored a goal. Uh, Tom Elliott, uh, came on, uh, in the second half and, uh, scored a goal. But, uh, the Don's defense continues to let in too many goals and uh, playing from behind too often, giving up leads too often. Uh, we've found all the major ways to lose. And uh, right now, <laughs> uh, not at the very bottom where we were uh, after the first couple of games. So I guess that's good news. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, with five points after seven games, AFC Wimbledon are 21st, which is uh, the last. Uh, relegation spot or the first relegation spot. So if the season were to end today, they would be relegated back to League Two. Side note, uh, a semi-related uh, thing that, that would be it will be of some interest to AFC Wimbledon fans. The franchise uh, currently playing in Milton Keynes uh, has played seven games and has only eight points. Uh, so is currently sitting in 15th place in League One, uh, not too terribly far from AFC Wimbledon. Swindon Town, a team that I uh, used to play FIFA as for a long time, is in 16th, uh, also having a difficult season in League One. So it's been, uh, you know, it's it's been a long seven games, but uh, hopefully, I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> uh, the, the season is long. I get to go to a game soon. I'm excited about that.
0: Um. Good. I'm also excited about that. And, and uh, the chances of it being a really fantastic experience, though, John, seem low.
1: Oh, wait, what's
0: that? I'm just saying that, like, you're probably going to go watch your, your team lose. And I'm sorry.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, statistically, that is probably what's going to happen. But uh, you never know. Uh, anything is possible. And I'm going to keep my, uh, my fingers crossed.
0: All right. Well, uh, John, thank you for the news from AFC Wimbledon.
1: What, what did we learn today? We learned that Abraham Lincoln was America's worst president is the kind of thing that you say if you want to start an argument. <laughs> <laughs> We learned
0: that uh, humans are ugly, naked apes because of original sin.
1: (laughs) I don't think that's actually what we learned. Uh, We learned that old people (laughs) will always like classical music.
0: And we learned that, of course, William Carlos Williams uh, was a big proponent of taking baths uh, in yogurt, warm yogurt, big tubs full of yogurt. And I'm totally not Making that up at all.
1: It seems very plausible to me. Uh, thanks for listening, Hank. Thank you for uh, podding with me. Uh, you can email us at hankandjohn at gmail.com. You can uh, also follow us on Patreon or support the podcast directly on Patreon at patreon.com slash dear Hank and John. Again, our email address is hankandjohn at gmail.com. Nicholas Jenkins edits our podcast. Rosiana Hals Rojas helps out with questions. Our theme music is by Gunnarola. I'm John Green on Twitter. Hank is Hank Green on Twitter. If you want to say hi to us there, you can also use the hashtag Dear Hank and John. We get some questions that way. Thank you again for listening. And as we say in our hometown, wait, 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 wait.
0: Also, starting this week, we have Victoria Bongiorno, who is running Dear Hank and John, helping out with the Patreon and with social media stuff. Uh, and also of uh, various other things. Uh, taking over for Claudia is Victoria. Hello, Victoria.
1: Thank you, Victoria. Welcome. I apologize for missing your name in your very first week on the job.
0: Uh, and as they say in our hometown. Don't,
1: don't forget, forget to be, to be awesome. awesome.